You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, we've been going through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. Uh, last week, we talked about the wisdom from God, that the things of God don't really make sense to human minds, that uh, human wisdom is never going to be good enough to understand the things of God. And so uh, he has given us his wisdom in order to understand those things. Does anybody remember the last thing that we said uh, on uh, last Sunday that was the last thing that Paul said? He said that you have the... It's okay. It's okay no one was listening. I set myself up for that one. It's okay. Anybody? You have the what? The mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. This is such an incredible truth that we can take hold of. And I bring that up because we're going to talk about that again today. That's going to come back up again today. Um, There are two types of parents in the world. Uh, Obviously, there's more. But when it comes to this particular thing, there are two types of parents in the world. Um, There are parents who don't care how messy their kids get when they eat. And there are parents who care probably a little too much about how messy their kids get. Who's the messy parent that it's like, I don't care how messy they get when they eat. They got to learn. Who is the parent that it's like, please don't make a mess because I'm going to have to clean it up. That's me. I'm that parent. Sometimes it doesn't matter, right? Sometimes it doesn't matter because they're going to get messy anyway. And so I have a picture. I have some pictures. So sometimes it doesn't matter because they're going to get messy regardless. This is both of my children on their first birthday. You can see what's funny is you can see that they inherited their traits from their parents, right? We have the one child doesn't care about how messy she gets. She's like, I'm just down with this cupcake. This is awesome. And you have the other child that's like, mm, I, can I have a fork? Like, this is really messy. No, thank you. I'm not going to make a whole lot of mess. And so there are two types of these two types of parents and apparently the two types of kids at well, and so, as well. And I'm, I'm the one that doesn't like for the kids to get messy. I can't stand it. This, this whole scene with Libby, I could barely watch. I was like, Maddie, you're going to, I can't. This is too much mess. I can't handle it. I just know that I'm going to have to clean it up. No, thank you. And I think that that comes with the difference of the question, like, are they ready for it, right? Like, when are they ready to eat by themselves? Are they ready to eat by themselves when they can put it in their own mouths? Or is it like when they can eat and not make a mess, right? Like, do they need to practice it before they do this? And Paul talks about this idea of like, when is somebody ready? When is somebody ready for solid food? He talks about this idea with Christians. There comes a time for all of us that we have to make the transition from spiritual milk to spiritual solid food. Picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Ouch. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? There's a lot in these verses. We're not going to move past these verses in 1 Corinthians today because there's a lot for us to digest here, right? There's a lot for us to take in, and I want us to spend time at looking at what Paul means 
how we can apply it. The first thing is that age does not equal growth. Age does not equal growth. And this can be a tough pill to swallow. This can be a hard truth. But there's two sides of it. First of all, there are a lot of people who have been attending church for 40 years or more who haven't grown at all because they think that's all there is to it. If your idea of spiritual growth is showing up to church and being a good person, you might be one of the, these people in this group. Because sitting in church doesn't make you a mature Christian any more than sitting in the dirt would turn you into a tree. Like it takes, it takes more than that. I watch a lot of professional sports, and this probably might come as a shock. I am not a professional athlete. I know. You look at me and you think, maybe. That guy looks like he could play in the NBA. Uh, you don't become a professional athlete just by watching it. The Christian life is a participation sport. And what's great is that the, participa the participation is doing less. The participation is just figure out how to do less. Jesus says it this way in Luke 9. He says, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This, this, this practice that I've, I've talked about a couple times of us, we have to stop doing and we have to start being. We have to be willing and allow the Holy Spirit to uproot things in our lives to make us more, look more like him. We have to let go of our pride, our motivations, our values, and say, whatever you want, God, whatever you want. It's not until we allow him to work in us that we will start to see that spiritual growth. So when we see older people in the church, we shouldn't just assume that they are mature in their faith. Senior adults in this room, let me challenge you that your age does not make you a mature believer. It may make you mature. You might have been through a lot of things. But have you just been through a lot? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you a lot? Because that's the difference in just being mature and being spiritually mature. And young believers, let me just tell you, don't set your own bar too low because of your age. There's a tendency for us to look at people who are younger who haven't been through things and, thought, and think, yeah, just wait till you have a mortgage. Just wait till you have kids. Or maybe it's wait till your kids move out of the house. Or maybe it's wait till you have teenagers or whatever it might be. And, and while those things are true, there is a lot of life experience that younger people don't have. But like we talked about last week, we're not dependent on our own wisdom. Praise the Lord. We're not dependent on our own wisdom. So we can't look down on younger people just because they haven't been through the same things that we've been through because they're not leaning on their own wisdom. It doesn't matter what someone has or hasn't been through. Because the spirit of God that dwells in us has been through everything. You probably heard this verse talking about young believers before, 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is one of those verses that youth groups love to quote, right? 
They love this. They'll put it in their, like, the youth room, or they'll have, like, T-shirts that says this, or they'll have, like, a, it's on their bookmark. Like, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And what's interesting is, I, I say this as one of those people who did this when I was young, right? And what's interesting is it's like, look, no one's looking down on you because you're young. They're looking down on you because you're a dingus, right? Like, you're not, you, you haven't done the second half of this verse, Right? Like, that's part of it. It's contingent. It's like, well, we're not looking down on you because you're young. We're looking down on you because you're not setting, setting an example. Because that's what we're called to do, right? Like, it's not, it's not about age. It's about how are you living? Are you setting this example? Even outside of the youth aspect of this verse, I think there's a lot for us to take, to take as well. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are blank. Whatever that identifier that you might have is, because I've heard people say, they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. It's like, ooh, no, they don't like you because most people don't like you, right? Like, you know, <laughs> some of you know those people, right? Like, it's like, oh, no, I can promise you it's not because you're a Christian. That's definitely not it, right? So don't be that person, right? Like, don't be the person that it's like, that it's like oh, well, they don't like me because I'm a Christian, but that's not it anyway. Set an example. If we're doing the second half of this verse, that's the sign of a mature believer, Setting an example in faith and life and love and in purity. That's what Paul is talking about when, he, when it comes to spiritual maturity. How are you living? Are you living like every other human? Are you jealous? Are you argumentative? Because just in, like in real life, when you grow in spiritual maturity, you should start to change. That spiritual maturity should start to change you. I don't do the same things I did when I was a toddler, right? Like, I'm a little bit better at walking. I, I can eat more foods. I don't, but I could. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't play with the same toys. I have different skills. Similarly, your spiritual growth should yield changes. You should be a different person than before you were saved and when you were first saved. If your behavior hasn't changed, if your life hasn't changed because of your spiritual growth, there's a pretty good sign that you haven't had much spiritual growth. Our maturing should continue to allow God to change us. We should all be continuing to grow and change more and more into better representations of Christ because we are allowing the Holy Spirit to do work in our heart and our mind. And let me say that there is a big difference in spiritual maturity and just gaining knowledge. There are plenty of atheists who know the Bible better than some of us in this room. They know it. They just don't believe it. It hasn't made any kind of impact in their lives. They haven't let God do anything. Spiritual growth takes action. Learning what it looks like to lay down our kingdom for the sake of God's kingdom. Just because you've been saved for a long time doesn't mean you've matured. You have to change. I had a question pop into my head when I, was, when I was studying for this. It's the idea of, so Paul is saying, you're not ready for spiritual solid food. It's like, what, what does that mean, right? Like, what would the harm be in giving somebody something spiritually that they're not ready for, right? Like, it's all supposed to be beneficial, so this idea of like, what does that mean that like you're not ready for something spiritually? Because it's all supposed to be good. 
I showed those pictures earlier of the kids uh, on their first birthdays. Uh, when I turned one, I don't remember this. I just have seen the, the video footage. Um, when I turned one, you know, parents give you cupcake on your high chair and step back like you're about to make a mess, right? But what my parents did is my parents, I love them. They're great parents. Okay, before I tell you this, they're awesome. They're great. I trust them with my children. My parents put a candle on my cupcake and then stepped back and let me make a mess. What they did not see coming was me reaching up and just grabbing the fire. Birthday ruined, right? Like it's like, okay, now, now he's never going to like cake. This is, this is the worst. Because not that fire is bad, right? Fire is useful for a ton of things. Fire in the right hands can be an incredible tool. But in the hands of a toddler, definitely more harm than good, right? I do not encourage you to give any toddlers fire of any sort. Just a terrible idea in general. But it's not that it's not good. It's just that they're not ready for it. If you give someone something that they're not ready for, they might get burned. We see, it feels like that shouldn't be true of Scripture. But solid food would be beneficial to a baby, right? Like, it's not that solid food is not beneficial. They're just not ready for it. And so it's not that things of Scripture wouldn't be beneficial. It's just that they're not, it's not quite time for that yet. So with that, the the thing that I think we can take away is think before you speak. This should be common sense. It's not, right? Like we don't, we, me, I might be the worst at this. I'd put myself up against most of you in this room at just letting the stuff fly out of my mouth for no reason, right? But this idea of think before you speak, be intentional with your words. Understand who you're having a spiritual conversation with and where they are. Because like we talked about last week, to a lost person, there's a lot of stuff that's not going to make sense at all when you start it, right? It's like none of this makes sense because they don't have the discernment to understand the spiritual things. I think there's a lot of different impacts that this could have on new or young believers or unbelievers. One of them is what happens in Corinth. We're going to get to this in a couple weeks. But what happens to the people in Corinth is that they saw these supernatural gifts, They saw these supernatural things that the Holy Spirit was doing, and that became their focus. They lost focus of what they were supposed to be doing because they were focused on the thing that was, was, you know, like me with my birthday cake when I was one. That it's like, yeah, the the cake is there and the cake is good, but I wanted the shiny part, right? I wanted that cool, like, dancing in fire. You know, that looks cool. I missed the point. That wasn't the point. Same thing happens with the church in Corinth. Acts chapter 8 tells this story of a man named Simon the Magician. Don't worry, I'm not going to do any magic tricks this week. Um, But his name is Simon the Magician, and he's a sorcerer. And his nickname was the power of God. That's what they called him. And so Simon, he hears the gospel, he believes, and he's baptized. Then he sees the disciples laying on hands and giving people the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 8. It says, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you have thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before the Lord. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a, such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. See, Simon wasn't in a place where he could fully understand and grasp what was going on. And so he got distracted. He lost focus of what he should have been paying attention to and was distracted by this new thing. And in the case of Simon, it was, it was this, I can go back to my old life where I can do things that are supernatural. So let me have this. Let me have this thing that will let me go back to my old way of living. And I'm not saying, and neither is Paul, that we're supposed to hide things from new believers, right? Like, I don't want you to think that it's like, oh, don't, shh, shh, don't say it, don't know that, right? Like, I don't want you to think that that's the case because that's not, that's not what we're saying. But there are some things that you need to know before you get into deeper doctrines, right? Like there's this, this debate among a lot of people who have been around church for a long time. And there's probably different stances on this in the room of the idea of Genesis 1. Of, okay, so when, how long has the earth, was it six literal days? Did each day stand for a thousand years? Like, was it, was it through evolution? Is chapter one just a poem? There's all these different thoughts. And so if we get bogged down in that, a new believer might miss the idea that chapter one is about the fact that God created everything, period. That's it. We got to get that down first. I'm not saying we can't talk about those other things, but when it comes to the mind of a new believer, it's important that we're not just standing around talking about these deep spiritual things and they might miss out on the things that they're supposed to know. Before we teach that God is sovereign, that nothing happens outside of God's control, that he allows or disallows everything that has ever happened to happen, and that can be a difficult thought, especially for someone who doesn't know God and might see God through this lens of like, oh, he's angry. He's vengeful. He is powerful and full of wrath. They might, that might be a scary thought to them. And, and so we have to talk about the fact that God is a loving God first. Paul actually does this in Romans chapters 8 and 9. I encourage you, if you're ever going to read Romans chapter 9, read Romans chapter 8 first, because chapter 9 gets a little hairy. Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about the sovereignty of God and this idea that if God wants to raise someone up just to destroy them, to show his power, he can do that because he's God. That is a difficult concept for a mature believer to wrap our minds around. That is a tough pill to swallow. And so that's why Paul spends chapter 8 talking about how good God is, talking about this crazy love that God has for us. He says things like, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This one's not on the screen, but Romans chapter 8, 38, it says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we understand that that is the God that we are talking about, when we understand and we say, okay, this is a good God who has this unbelievable love for me. Then when we get to the idea of like, he's God, sometimes he does things we don't understand, but we have to trust he's good. We have a basis to say, you know what? Yeah, he is good. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him. There's nothing that has ever been or will ever be that can separate me from the love of God. So if he's going to do something, I can trust in that God. 
Does that make sense that we, there are certain doctrines that if we understand one part, it makes the next part much easier to understand? Something that might be hurtful to a new believer. Something that might, if you just heard it and you were a non-believer and you heard, if God wants to raise somebody up just to squash them, then he can do that. A non-believer would be like, no, thank you, right? It's not until we understand the love of God, the goodness of God, that we can say, if that's what he thinks is best, I'm good with it. And Paul puts that, that idea of, of thinking before you speak into perspective here. Just like with a new baby, you start with milk. And you give them thicker milk with like oatmeal and rice in it. And then you move to like the mushy foods, right? And before you get to the full diet of goldfish and chicken nuggets, just like their father, right? You got to move through these steps. And the same is true with our spiritual growth. To just get saved and start jumping into the idea of predestination versus free will is, is not really the way that we should go about things. There's a lot of things we need to know about God before we get into those tough doctrinal issues. We have to think this way with newer Christians. And to those of you guys who might be newer to the faith, I want to encourage you that if you've heard something about God that you don't like, if you've heard something about God that doesn't sit well with you, Find a believer that you trust and who knows where you are and ask them to talk to you about it. Because there might have been a step someone skipped, right? That might have been the steak that someone handed you before you while you were still eating baby food. And so if you're a young believer and you, you might have thought, I don't understand how God could be like this. Find somebody, talk to us about it. Because we would love to explain. Because there was probably a misstep somewhere, Right? Because sometimes, as believers, we confuse our own opinions with theology. Sometimes we confuse our own opinions with theology, which is dangerous. Imagine giving an infant roller food from a gas station. Like, I know that's mostly food, but there's a lot of this that's not, right? You know, like, you've had roller food from a gas station. That's not all food, right? And sometimes that's what happens, is we give new believers this stuff that it's like, that's not really food. You probably shouldn't eat that, right? So we have to be careful when we're mixing in and, and, and teaching things that we're not putting our own opinion into things and we're just teaching what is true. And that's the real problem, isn't it? Is that the last part of that passage that we started with today, where Paul says, are you not worldly that you are acting like mere humans? And if you're like me, you might have thought like, well, yeah, yes, I am a human, right? Like everyone in this room, like, yeah, we are human beings. Nailed it. And so it's interesting to me that Paul uses it kind of derogatorily, right? Like he's like, you're just, a mere, you're just acting like a mere human. But because of Jesus, you are not just a mere human. You are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And like we talked about last week, you have the mind of Christ. Right? Like, that's, that's crazy. You are not mere humans. Are y'all ready for some even better news? Right? Like, that's good news. Amen? Let me tell you some even better news. I've got two verses for you. John 17, 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is what he says. That, you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
So eternal life is not what happens when you die. It's, it's not what starts when you get to heaven. No, eternal life is knowing God. It's now. That's what we're doing now. And then, and then Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life in John 3.36. Anybody like know English well enough? I don't. Anybody know English well enough to tell me the, the tense of the word has? What's the tense? Present tense. It's present tense, right? Like if it were past tense, it would be had. If it was future tense, or is that what it's called, future tense, right? Did I get that one? Okay, I know English, I promise. Um, if it was future tense, it, says, it would say you will have. But this says has. Anyone, whoever, believes in the Son has eternal life. So you are not a mere human because you are already experiencing eternal life today on September 26, 2021. You are experiencing eternal life. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. Again, just you're already you've already started. We're not waiting for heaven. Eternal life has begun. When we become believers, our eternity has already started because it's knowing God. Like we talked about last week, it's this idea that we now have the ability to know and understand God, not like mere humans, but as people who are filled with the spirit of God, with the mind of Jesus Christ. But also how incredible is this concept, right? That eternal life is not the presence of God. That's not what Jesus said. He, he didn't say that it's, um, you know, the, the spiritual life. He said it's knowing God. How long is eternity? Anybody? Forever. Eternity is forever. We have a God that we are going to spend forever not understanding. We have a God that you will never not be able to learn something new about him. We are never going to be able to wrap our minds around him. We have this blink of an eye that we have here in these, these earthly bodies. And then we have all of eternity to know God and we are never gonna get there. How incredible is that God? How incredible is he that he is so big, so incredible, so enormous that we are never going to get to that point where it's like, yeah, done, I got it. Know, know everything I need to know. Because our eternal life is going to be spent in that process of knowing God. And this is why Paul is frustrated. Paul is frustrated because he's like, why are you acting like mere humans? You have eternal life. You are starting eternal life with the mind of Christ and the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Why are you acting like just regular people? Act like you know God. Zeke and Libby, I know none of my illustrations have been sports themed today. I'm sorry, I'll be better. They've all, all been my kids, right? Zeke and Libby, they have different rules. And it's not because one of them is my favorite. It's because one of them doesn't know better. Right? Like Libby can be in the back seat and just like being unbelievably loud. 
She's a very loud human being. And then so that makes our older one think, I have the freedom to be loud. And so he'll start being loud, and he'll get in trouble. And it's like, you can't do that. And do you know what he says? But she was doing it. Right? But she was doing it. Y'all know that phrase. Y'all know that phrase too well. That's what we do. That's why Paul's frustrated. He's like, you can't, just because the baby was doing it doesn't mean you get to do it. Just because the lost person is acting like a lost person, why would we expect anything different, doesn't give you the right to not do what you know you're supposed to do. Paul is saying to Corinth, you know this is not how you're supposed to live. You should know better. You guys heard that phrase? You guys use that phrase? I use it probably too often. You should know better. And I think this might be one of those moments in the series where we have to look at what Paul is saying to Corinth and wonder if if he would say the same thing to us. You should know better. You should know better. We are not mere humans. Are we living like people who are experiencing abundant, eternal life? And Paul explains, he even talks about what this looks like in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you therefore to live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. People who are experiencing eternal, abundant life are not snippy. They're not judgmental. They're gentle. They're humble. Again, I'm not saying this like it's, you have to put this responsibility on yourselves because it doesn't happen on our own, right? It's not on you and your earthly power to do this because when we try to act out of our own will, out of our own spirit instead of the spirit of God that dwells inside of us. When we try to think on our own instead of the mind of Christ, that's what gets us in trouble. That's what gets us in trouble is when we start to try to do these things on our own. But like any good parent, I say good parents because I'm in this group, God says, you should know better. Live like it. God says, you've experienced so much more Live like it. We are called to grow in our faith. To move from simple spiritual teaching to a deep understanding of who God is. And surrender to his will. We are called not just to be mature, but to help others mature through how we talk, how we deal with them. And remember that you are not a mere human, but you are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. It's experiencing eternity today. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth that we don't have to wait for eternal life. That we're not just sitting in the waiting room of earth like, okay, when is he going to call us back? God, that we are already experiencing the purpose of eternal life, which is knowing our incredibly loving and good God. 
Help us to grow. Help us to have the frame of mind to say, Lord, take over. I'm carrying my cross daily. I'm dying to myself and my own will and my own desires daily because I want to be a person who lives like I'm experiencing eternal life. I want to be a person who knows you and lives out of a response to that. God, help us to grow. Help us to teach others, to teach others the basics, the goodness of God, to not get mixed up with opinions and and get confusing with with deep doctrines that, that are not quite as important to understand and that we'll have time to get to in eternity. God, that we would just focus on the basics, teaching the basics before we move on to solid food. I pray that you would help us to be people with a healthy spiritual diet so that we can be people living that eternal life today. God, let us approach this week, change this, this mindset in our hearts that we are not mere humans and that we have eternal life. When we go out to eat for lunch, when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to school tomorrow, God, that we would understand that it is eternal life because we have the privilege of knowing who you are. In your name we pray, amen.